Hi, it's Michael Sunoff with Michael Sunoff's HardToFindSeminars.com. The title of this interview is called, Why Haven't People Suffering from Heart Disease and Diabetes Been Told About These Things? Dr. Duke Johnson, author of The Optimal Health Revolution, just couldn't sit by and watch health book after health book being published with advice so bad it was likely killing people. So he decided to write his own based on real research and truth. According to Dr. Johnson, Serious health problems aren't just happening in the United States. History shows that as soon as a nation's industrialized, they develop heart disease, diabetes, and cancer, likely caused from the mass production of food. But if you know how to eat for optimal health, none of that can ever affect you. And in this audio interview, you'll hear the straight truth about how to do that. You'll also hear exactly what foods you need to avoid in order to prevent heart disease and diabetes. You'll learn a painless way to lose 10 pounds a year without really trying. You'll learn the scary side effects that happen to our bodies when we take in the chemicals found in fake sugars and fats. You'll learn a quick food prescription if you're pre-diabetic that will pull you away from the disease before any problems come up. You'll learn that little pill you should be taking every day that will boost your health and reduce your anxiety. You'll learn the dark truth about the protein diet trend and why it's more dangerous than people believe. You'll learn all about the foods you probably eat every day that causes your immune system to malfunction and attack your own body without you even knowing it's happening. Dr. Johnson says avoiding the foods that cause health problems doesn't mean you have to eat weird stuff or starve yourself. And in this audio interview, you'll hear how to survive the processed food epidemic and enjoy the long, healthy life you deserve. Now let's get going. Hi, this is Chris Costello, and I've teamed up with Michael Senoff to bring you the world's best wellness-related interviews. So if you know anyone struggling with their weight, with cancer, diabetes, ADHD, autism, heart disease, or other health challenges, please send them to Michael Senoff's HardToFindSeminars.com. Dr. Johnson, thank you so much for joining us today. Well, thank you, Chris. Wonderful to be with you. So you've written a great book called The Optimal Health Revolution, and you cover so many topics in it. You talk about inflammation. You talk about how to create health. How did you come to write this book? What inspired you? I was an emergency room physician and switched to preventive medicine after diagnosing heart attacks on people in their late 30s, early 40s. You know, this is ridiculous. We shouldn't be dying of these chronic diseases at such an early age. And in the last several years, I've been involved in prevention for 20 years. In the last several years, I've noticed so many bad books that would actually point away from the most recent research as far as what we need to do to help reduce chronic disease. I just couldn't take it anymore. I thought, you know, people really need to know the best science, and that's the origin of the book. The number one killer you know, in essentially almost every industrialized nation, not just the U.S., is heart disease. It used to be around 45% of people. Now it's a little bit closer to 35%. Heart disease has gone down a little bit. We're going to see an upswing with that in the not-too-distant future because of the worldwide epidemic of type 2 diabetes, which is another chronic disease. And the number one cause of death, the diabetics, is heart disease. So the second biggest killer would be cancer. And among all of the, in essence, chronic diseases are diseases that occur over a long time period. So that would include type 2 diabetes, it would include obesity, Parkinson's, Alzheimer's, etc. What are the numbers on worldwide obesity? In general, it's interesting. As a country, especially as a country industrializes, obesity has a tendency to go up. I list a range of numbers in the books because not every country is the same, but roughly 
be the unifying factor in almost all scientific literature that's come out in the last 10 years. And it's interesting. We noted that, in essence, the inflammation was involved, but now, and the big debate is, is it a cause or a result? And I really think it's both. I think that it actually causes chronic disease, and it also is a result. If I may first define what is inflammation, and then that'll help them understand how to avoid it. Inflammation is really a reaction of the immune system. And to give you an idea, our immune systems were not all bad. In essence, our immune system was beautifully designed to, when an offending organism like a bacteria or virus, etc., comes in, then our immune system will release inflammatory molecules to kill it. And the way I like to give the analogy is that if our body was a house, and our immune system was a lion defending the house against a mouse, namely viruses or bacteria. The way it's designed is the lion, when it sees a mouse, it gets up, it gets incredibly angry, it races over, it pounces on the mouse, it kills it, and then it lays back down again looking for another mouse. Well, in our industrialized societies, we have entered in a lot of components into our bodies, whether it be uh, manufactured fats, false fats, processed foods, false sugars, herbicides, pesticides, all kinds of chemicals that the immune system sees as being foreign, but it wasn't designed to kill it. So in essence, what they're doing is they're kicking the lion, they're making the lion angry, and it's walking around the house looking for something to kill, but it doesn't see any mice. So it's ticked off, it wants to kill something, it's knocking over tables, chairs, in other words, it's causing damage, and that's in essence how these chemicals are stimulating the immune system. In essence, when I say these chemicals kick the lion, there's a lot of inflammatory molecules that rise. And so it's a chronic condition that in essence, when we eat processed foods or foods that are high in lots of different chemicals, etc., we are over time, over months and over years, taking in chemicals that are actually destructive. And when they're originally created, they were created to in essence produce more food, which was good. But when people around the world stop dying of starvation, then the negative side effect of these chemicals are in essence that they have a tendency to overstimulate the immune system, which is not what it was designed for. So is that why we're seeing this increase in chronic disease? Absolutely. In fact, you know, in the U.S., I've got statistics I have in the book that show that heart disease and cancer were not a major cause of death at the turn of the 20th century. But with industrialization, when we started mass-producing cars and et cetera, we also started mass-producing animals and food production and et cetera. So all of a sudden, you can see in the graph, beginning that time period, the major causes of death are disease and cancer start rising. Well, I have actually patients that live in 30 different countries that come to our center in Southern California. In fact, most docs have a perspective of people who come from those countries who move to the United States, for example. But I literally have people who come visit our center, we assess them, and they go back to their country with their cultures, their diets, their lifestyle, et cetera, and then we'll come and see them on repeat 
So what are some of the things, I mean, obviously we're living in this culture of processed foods and things that aren't necessarily great for your health. What are some of the things people can do to turn that trend around? Well, the first thing is to reduce our risk factors for chronic disease. The real kind of aha moment that I had was in 2004 when I realized that all of the risk factors that I had taught for 15 years at that time all increase inflammation in our body. So if we know the risk factors for chronic diseases and we list 15 risk factors for heart disease, 16 for cancer, I list all of those in the book. If you have many risk factors, I can tell you you're in a chronically increased inflammatory state, no matter what your blood work shows, because there are scores of inflammatory molecules. But if we reduce those risk factors, the inflammation will go down. That's the most important thing we can do. And then secondly would be to consume natural anti-inflammatories, for example, like omega-3. Omega-6 and omega-3 are required fats, but omega-6 is inflammatory, and we get way too much of it. Omega-3 is anti-inflammatory. Exercise reduces inflammation. Multivitamins have been shown to reduce inflammation. Vitamin D, for example, is a great anti-inflammatory, and it's been shown in lots of studies in the last year and a half to its reduction of chronic disease and many others. We're reducing the saturated fats in our diets, etc. Eat seven to nine servings of fruits and vegetables every day. Fruits and vegetables are loaded with plant chemicals, which we call phytonutrients. They're anti-inflammatory. Avoiding the processed foods and fast foods as much as possible. Try to go in the direction of organically as much as we can. You know, and then I give some nutrigenomic guidelines in the book. It's a whole new science that's developed in the last 10 years or so as to what we can do to help reduce inflammation if we know how to eat. Adequate sleep has been shown to reduce inflammation, reducing salt. I mean, so there's many steps we can take that you don't have to have a weird lifestyle. I don't work at all at my lifestyle. I know what to do and I live it. It's normal for me. So I don't feel like I have to have an MD or a PhD to live the lifestyle I teach. It's not really complex. Now, do you eat processed foods at all? Very rarely. I just avoid it as much as I can. You know, I was a vegan essentially for about four years and I've been primarily a vegetarian for about 12 years. What I found is that when I have circumstances where the food that I need or desire are not readily available, if I'm vacationing with my family, I don't want to be obsessed about my diet. And because obsession just causes stress, which is a risk factor for heart disease. With the information that's come out on the benefits of omega-3, I've gone from essentially a vegetarian to also including salmon and omega-3 fish oil. Occasionally I'll have meat just depending upon the situation or process, but it's very, very small percentage. This is Chris Costello reporting for Michael Senoff's HardToFindSeminars.com. I've heard you can't get everything you need from it. What is your experience with that? Well, no, you really can get everything you need, essentially, especially if you take a multivitamin, which is going to reduce, you know, any anxiety. Because it's so interesting. If you ask almost any nutritionist or a dietitian or physician, you know, how much chromium have you had today? Or can you tell me how much B6 you've had today? They don't know. I mean, they know roughly, but people don't add up those nutrients. And that's where the role of a multivitamin will cover a lot of sins in our diet. Mm -hmm. But generally, to tell you the truth, if you get in soy, for example, or a non-fat organic milk, those contain the required proteins that we need. A vegan is very commonly going to have inadequate levels of B12 and occasionally calcium. And so that's where the dairy can be some benefits, for example, for the calcium. But again, you can get the nutritional support elsewhere through supplementation that helps alleviate that.
And now, are you familiar with the China study at all? I know Dr. Campbell has recommended that we're eating too much protein and that levels should be more like a 10% level. I am familiar with it and have read that, and certainly we have some areas of agreement and we're going to have some areas of disagreement. That's true of every scientist on the planet. From what I saw, he was most concerned about certain proteins, especially that are in cow's milk. There's other research that has seemed to indicate people from the Far East have a lot more trouble digesting milk than people from other nationalities. And when we look at some of those proteins, there's a lot of research that would point to the fact that it may not be as worrisome per se. I would agree, though, that the trend of high-protein diets that have been fads recently, I do not agree with them. I think that in order to get proteins in the higher percentages of 30%, etc., you almost have to eliminate fruits and vegetables and a lot of real solid carbohydrates that are going to be anti-inflammatory. And many protein sources are inflammatory. So what else can people do, Dr. Johnson? And that's why I wanted to make the book, you know, I have almost 900 scientific references because people get so confused. Who do I believe? Do I believe the latest fad? Who's a doctor or do I believe this guy? And I thought, you know, what I'll do is I'll just put it out there and I'll just put out nearly 900 scientific references and if that's not enough, you know, then there's not much else I can do. What I wanted to do, though, is then break all of that complex information and write it in a way that a non-science trained person can read it and then break it all even down into 25 easy steps. Like I wouldn't want somebody just reading the conclusion of a mystery novel and think they've got the whole understanding. But in breaking it down, I wanted to make it simple. And so more fruits and vegetables would be obviously a foundation of one of those 25 steps. And most people get intimidated by that because they perceive a serving as an extra-sized large fry, and it's really not a serving of a fruit and a vegetable. It fits into the palm of your hand. Decrease or quit smoking is number two. And, you know, I understand that's tough to stop, but, I mean, if someone would go from a pack to a three-quarters of a pack or three-quarters to a half a pack, you know, any decrease, whole grains are very beneficial, and a lot of fad diets that have treated, in essence, carbohydrates as a swear word, it's just ridiculous. And that's one of my greatest motivations for the book is just how carbs were just abused for the last decade. Number four, begin help for depression or stress. Depression accelerates heart disease. It stimulates two hormonal pathways that accelerate heart disease and increase inflammation. Get some idea of our, your weight, whether or not you're overweight or obese, and I get steps on how to reduce it in a non-inflammatory way, which I think is most beneficial. Also in calculating your intake, most people have no idea how many calories they're taking in a day. They're not even within 500 calories. They have no idea at all. You know, 100 less calories a day would lead to a 10-pound weight loss in a year. And that's why I want people to at least get some ballpark-ish. Most of us only need around 2,000 calories a day, between 1,500 and 2,000, depending upon our size, or even 1,800 to 2,200. But I've seen studies where the average American gets 31 to 3,700 calories. extra calories a day, you're going to gain weight. <laughs> and a lot of the longevity studies, they talk about actually reducing your caloric intake, right? They do, but what's interesting is that those kind of studies have used almost a starvation model, per se. That just didn't make sense to me because, you know, I know that's freaking some people right now, but let me finish this thought. <laughs> Obesity didn't become a problem globally and in the United States until the last, say, 30 years or so, 30 to 50 per se. And, you know, people weren't starving themselves prior to that. And so the molecule that is reduced or most impacted by a starvation-type diet that leads to longevity is one that's got a long name to it. It's peroxisome peripholator activated receptor gamma and alpha and delta. In other words, it's a chemical in our body that's affected. So when people starve, they reduce that. Well, omega-3 has the same impact on that molecule. So, you know, all of the benefits of starvation may come from adequate 
why people in the Mediterranean, a true Mediterranean diet, live long. The point being is that, you know, we all can't say, okay, I'm going to eat 3,700 calories in an add omega-3 tablet. <laughs> you know, everybody in our society wants the quick fix. I want the drive-through radar beam that'll make me thin. I mean, everyone wants the quick fix, but in reality, we can't live like the normal industrialized, high-processed, garbage diet lifestyle and then just add one or two things and think it's going to make us perfectly healthy. And that's why we're seeing type 2 diabetes in young kids. And that's astounding to me from my perception. I mean, you know, when I was trained and went to medical school at UCLA, you know, we were taught, you know, type 1 and type 2 and there was adult onset. And, well, it's not called adult onset anymore, type 2, because we're seeing it in children. And that's ridiculous. And prior to 1950, everybody ate organically, basically. And it's a total lifestyle. It's not just the food we eat. It's everything about the lifestyle that we're doing. And that's why I tried to wrap it into, you know, the revolution is a revolution in thinking of how we're normally living. We have to revolt in essence from how most people live, like you're saying. If we don't revolt, we're going to end up as innocent bystanders, in essence, of these chronic diseases that people didn't have. For example, they weren't really of any significant percentage in China just 20 years ago and in Japan 50 years ago. The lifestyle we're living is what is creating that. And so if we make some simple changes, we can protect our, you know, the kidney damage and destruction and the accelerated heart disease and the blindness and loss of limbs. It's not a good disease. And in our experience, when someone's considered, quote, unquote, borderline diabetic, if they follow the guidelines in the chapter that I have, we're able to very commonly pull people completely away from that impending monster of a disease. You know, I've got like 22 steps that people can do, and they're not that complicated, to pull away from it. And we've proven that over and over again. Now, once somebody has type 2 diabetes, very rarely can we ever pull them out of it. Something changes physiologically, which I'm not understanding yet. But if someone's considered borderline, we can keep them away from a very serious disease. And I give an example in the end of the book of a gentleman named Larry, who was absolutely had metabolic syndrome, was going to get type 2 diabetes within a year, and in four months, so dramatically changed his lifestyle, he didn't have any insulin resistance at all in just four months. And so what kind of things do you tell people with the pre-diabetes to do? There's many steps that have been shown to help reduce insulin resistance, and so what I'll do is I can just list some of those for you right now. For example, reducing Saturated fats, trans fats, and omega-6 fats in the diet. Now, omega-6s are found in cheap oils like corn oil. The best oil is either canola or olive oil. Omega-6 is found in dark meats. We get massive amounts of omega-6 now. It's a required fat, but we're getting probably 10 times the amount that we need. The true Mediterranean diet used to be a, a ratio of omega-6 to omega-3 of 1 to 1, no worse than 4 to 1. But we're, we're eating diets now of 14 to 20 to 1. We're getting way too much. If we cut that down, we're going to reduce inflammation. And those high saturated and bad fats and trans fats are associated with increased insulin resistance. Also, reducing high fructose corn syrup, lots of quote-unquote healthy sports drinks are loaded with high fructose corn syrup. That's associated with increased insulin resistance. Exercise reduces insulin resistance, reducing excess weight. Smoking increases insulin resistance, so we need to stop that, get more omega-3 in our diet. Chromium has been shown to reduce insulin resistance and stabilize glucose metabolism. Whole grains reduce insulin resistance and reducing our total body inflammation certainly does that as well. And it's interesting because there's a study that just came out recently. They think they've found the inflammatory molecule that links obesity to type 2 diabetes, and it's called 
down insulin resistance, maybe even consider being a vegetarian, get enough calcium in our diets, buy low-fat organic dairy products. Those have been shown in studies, believe it or not. Some dairy products have been shown to reduce insulin resistance. We don't know if it's the calcium or the protein in the milk, but there are several studies that show that. Magnesium, coffee has been shown to reduce insulin resistance. Cinnamon, vitamin D, many, many different things. They're all listed in the chapter on steps we can take that aren't that complicated. Thanks so much, Dr. Johnson. And for our listeners, if you'd like to find out more about Dr. Johnson, you can go to drdukejohnson.com. That's the end of our interview, and I hope you've enjoyed it. For more great health-related interviews, go to Michael Senoff's hardtofindseminars.com. That's the end of our interview with Dr. Duke Johnson. I hope it's been helpful. And for more great interviews on health and wellness, go to hardtofindseminars.com.